And we're actually going to be looking at uh, some difficult words that Jesus speaks to us through Scripture. And they're words that uh, sometimes can be hard to swallow, hard to digest, hard to own, hard to uh, say we fully believe in. Uh, They can sometimes be words that uh, are really difficult to understand. But at the end of the day, they're words that he said. And so when, when we teach, when we talk, when we say what we believe in, it's important for us to have a sense of if Jesus said it, then that's the basis of where I start my conversation or my belief. Now, if you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is or you know you've heard who Jesus is, you just don't believe in Jesus or uh, maybe you're here and and you're not in love with Jesus, uh, you don't particularly like church, maybe you got talked into being here today, um, let me just kind of let you know where we stand on Jesus. We believe that Jesus was the Son of God. We believe that God sent him from heaven to live Uh, a human life here on this earth, that he was born to a virgin named Mary, that he grew up in the home of a carpenter named Joseph. And at age 30 years old, he began uh, a public ministry and he traveled teaching, uh, he traveled preaching, he traveled uh, performing miracles and healing people and uh, just does a lot of incredible things and ultimately begins to reveal himself as God. And so we believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus was God. He wasn't just a prophet or a great teacher, but he was actually the son of God. And so the basis of this series kind of hinges on that. And so if you don't believe that or you're not comfortable with that, then maybe you can just kind of sit back and listen to what we're going to talk about. Maybe you can criticize it a little bit. Maybe you can think through debates that you might want to argue through some of the things we say today. Uh, But for those of us who claim to follow Jesus... For those of us who may say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe that he's worth following, uh, then these words that we're going to talk about today still, by default, aren't easy to own. But we're going to attempt, attempt to own them today. You know, words are, are really powerful. Uh, you, you've heard words before that, that probably changed your opinion about something. Maybe, maybe you looked at something in a certain light and then you gained some knowledge, some words were spoken to you and you, you looked at it differently and sometimes it goes further than just an opinion and it, and it translates into a decision and you've heard some words spoken that caused you to decide something that you would not originally decided and so you made some changes in your life, you adjusted some things in your life. Um, but the words that we're gonna talk about over the next six to eight weeks are words that I believe can change your life. You know those those life-changing words that that really change who you are? Uh, For some of you women, it was when the man beside you said, will you marry me? And in that moment, just those words that were spoken caused your life to take on a new look and a new feel. And and it just kind of changed things. And I think for for all of us, that there's potential for the words of Jesus to bring change in our lives. His, his words are powerful uh, in that he was, he was God. And so we're going to look at, at some of those words today. Um, let me kind of set up the context for you, a little background information about uh, what we're going to look at today. Um, John chapter 14 is where we're going to be. And what we see is 
Um, Jesus, with his 12 closest followers, uh, the Bible refers to him as his disciples. These were men that he kind of handpicked and not necessarily the most spiritual men. In fact, definitely not the most spiritual men in the day. But it was a group of men that he gathered around him that traveled with him when he taught, when he performed miracles, that would have seen him up close and personal. If anyone would have known that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy to the Jews, that said that he would be the Messiah, that he would be sent from God. It would, it would have been these closest followers to him. And Jesus, just before he's going to be arrested and, and unjustly tried and ultimately crucified on a cross for the sins of the entire world, he has one final supper with his disciples where he sits down with them and uh, kind of, if you will, wants to leave them his last words. Now, we've all more than likely been part of an awkward dinner, an awkward meal with someone. Uh, I immediately think to, to two meals that were extremely awkward for me in my life. Um, definitely there have been more, but I particularly think of one when I was in high school and um, I was invited to a blind date with a girl I'd never met before, but, but this was the cousin of someone that I did know. And so I went with the cousin of this potential dating person, um, I was talked into going to this meal with someone I knew to meet someone that I didn't know. I was a little skeptical to start with, and so it was kind of a double date, and the person that I knew uh, kind of pulled one over on me, and that right when we got there and we met and we sat down at the table together, the waiter came and started taking orders, and this couple that I knew uh, got up from the table and said, we're going to leave you guys alone and we're going to go over here and eat. And um, it got really awkward. You know, I don't know if you've ever just gone into something with an expectation that, that things were going to go one way and you were going to be able to lean on a relationship that you knew and find some common ground. And it turns out that this young lady and I had like nothing in common. And I would say, you know, so do you have a dog? And she would say, I hate dogs. I love cats. And I would say, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if you know this, cats are demons. And so um, I'm a Christian, so I love dogs. And so that didn't, that didn't go well. And so I, I kept trying to just think, you know, of things to say. And for 45 minutes in this meal, it was just super awkward. The second time that I can think of an awkward meal was in college when I was invited with a friend home for the weekend. Uh, to a friend's home, and unbeknownst to me, this friend had uh, some news that the parents of this friend weren't happy with, and, and I was kind of invited home for the weekend as a buffer between the dialogue that would take place between the reality of this bad news, this person had done something that would not make their parents proud, and so I unbeknownst to me, was invited home to kind of shield them from the brunt of what they would typically get from their parents. And uh, so we sit down at dinner and uh, it just got really awkward because they didn't care that I was there. And uh, I looked at this friend in a different way. Um, I just kind of looked down and ate. And when my food ran out, I was like, man, this plate is nice and shiny. I just, I don't know, it was really awkward. You've been in those moments. Maybe it was with uh, a young guy, young girl that you were trying to impress. Uh, maybe you went on a date with a guy that, that you really wanted to impress and you just didn't eat anything because you were so nervous and um, it, it just was, was really awkward. Uh, Jesus is going to have a meal with his closest followers, his 12 disciples. Um, and honestly, it gets a little awkward 
because they don't expect him to say some things that he says and they don't expect him to do some things that he does. In fact, it starts out, uh, everyone's kind of gathered around and they're ready for the meal to start and Jesus gets up from the table and he begins to wrap a garment around his waist and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, which would have been a humiliating job for a person of honor. It would have been a servant's job and Jesus gets up from the table and goes to his disciples and begins to wash their feet, taking the form of a servant and teaching them the importance of serving other people. And you can imagine like around the table, uh, you know, the conversations that were like, what's going on? Why is he washing my feet? In fact, uh, some of the disciples spoke up and it was like, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus begins to say things like, unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part in my kingdom. To which they said, well, man, wash my whole body. Like, give me a rub down. And Jesus is like, only your feet are dirty. We're not going to go that far. And so it was just kind of, kind of a weird start. And then uh, things begin to progress. And Jesus begins to talk about someone at the table that's going to betray him. He begins to share bread with a person in particular who's going to betray him. And people are confused, like Judas, he's saying you're going to betray him. What, what do you mean? What does that mean? And Judas was the treasurer of the group. He kept the money. He was the money keeper. And so people thought, well, maybe, maybe he's given some kind of special instructions about the money. And, and they were trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And then he begins to, to take it another step and, and talk about someone that's going to deny him. And he begins to share that Peter would deny him. And everybody's just a little confused, like, what is he talking about? And Peter's like, I'll go with you to the death. I'll never deny you. And Jesus just kind of boldly says, you know what, Peter, tonight, three times before the rooster crows, you'll deny me. And, uh, you know, there's just this, Peter's trying to be defensive, and that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so everyone's just kind of on edge. You know, it's not the typical meal. It's not the normal time that they spent around the table together. And then Jesus begins to break into a dialogue about how he's going to leave them. And he's going away. He begins to say that he's going away and he's going to prepare a place for them with his father. And if he goes away, it's okay because he's going to come back and get them to take them with him to a place that he's prepared. And then he makes this, this kind of bold statement to him. And he says, you know the way to the place that I'm going. Now, just a little insight. Um, the disciples, uh, it's largely believed, actually thought that Jesus was going to be like a political leader. Um, they were kind of in the back of their minds seeing the momentum that his ministry had gained and how many followers were coming around him. And they began to talk among themselves, actually thinking that like maybe they would overthrow Rome and Jesus would be the great leader of the world that they knew and everyone would follow him and there was going to be uh, you know, this this coup and, and they would overtake people. And that's kind of what they were expecting. But Jesus doesn't say like, guys, get ready. Things are about to get intense. Just trust me. We're going to overtake things and we're going to rule the world. But rather he says, um, guys, you need to know something. I'm actually about to leave. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go to a place and you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And he just kind of leaves it at that. Now, We've all been that person in the classroom when the teacher says something that you don't know and you're afraid to raise your hand and say, what do you mean by that? Uh, and you're always thankful when that person is vulnerable enough in your room to raise their hand and just say, I'm sorry, I just don't understand what you're talking about. And in this crowd, it was Thomas that speaks up. 
And Thomas begins to say to Jesus, um, we, don't, we don't know where you're going, so how are we supposed to know the way to get there? To which I'm sure everyone is like, thank you, Thomas, because I was a little lost and I didn't know what to think, so thank you for saying that. Um, and then Jesus makes this statement. This, that's what he said statement that we're going to talk about today. It's in John chapter 14, verse 6. Uh, let me just read it to you now. Jesus answers in response to Thomas. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He begins to go on to talk about, if you know me, you know the Father, and, and I'm the way to the Father. But he makes this, this statement that we've all heard, if you've been around church, if you grew up in Sunday school, if you grew up around preaching, at some point in your life, you've probably heard this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And when he says this, you know, for us, kind of with the context of the scriptures, it's easy for us to go, yeah, 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 like I know what you're talking about. I, I get it. You're the way, you're the truth, you're the life. Like everyone has to go through Jesus to get to heaven, to get to the Father. We get that. But, but this crowd, it wasn't so simple. In fact, I don't think it's so simple for us today either as we pretend it is sometimes. But Philip goes on to ask some questions and Jesus takes it some steps further. But I want to focus on this phrase today where Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. First of all, have you ever, have you have ever had that moment where you just kind of ask yourself, like maybe someone said something and you just wanted to rehearse what they said out loud and make sure that's really what they said. Like, like maybe you played on a team and your coach told you, you know, you're going to run this many suicides or this many stairs. And you looked at your friend and say, did he just say what I think that he said? And the friend said, yeah, that's what he said. Um, I remember as a, a nine-year-old when I first started playing tackle football, and my dad played football growing up in high school, and um, I was a little kid. Uh, in fact, when I was in eighth grade, I was the second smallest kid on my basketball team. Uh, I grew a lot in high school, but I was really small as a kid. And, and my first year playing tackle football, I was, I was afraid to get hit. I was afraid of contact. I was, I was kind of shy, and I would, like, go in and... Um, I don't know if you know much about football, but if that's your approach, typically you get hurt worse than if you just kind of go for it. And so my dad was going to teach me how to hit someone and how to embrace contact. And so he gets my brother out in the backyard and he tells my brother, both of us in full pads, just to stand there and then I'm going to come and hit him. And I was like, yeah, this is good. I, I can handle this. I'm going to go and hit my brother and he's just going to stand there and I'm going to tackle him. It's going to feel good. And and I went to hit my brother, and he lowered his shoulder, and he just threw me over and knocked me on the ground. And my dad got so mad at my brother, and he said, you're going to stand here, and if you move again, I'm going to wear you out. And he's like in my brother's face, and I'm like, yeah, like I'm going to. And my brother was like, he is not going to hit me without me doing anything. That's insane. And I said, no, that's what he said. Like I can remember saying those words. That's what he said. You just stand there because I'm about to bring it. And like I went with all like 50 pounds of me and tried to hit him and barely like he fell down to make me feel good. But, but I can just, those words, that what he, that's what he said. I can, I can hear like, I can hear like 
John leaning over to Peter and saying, you know, did he just say that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him? Like, he's going away, we're going to get there, but they didn't get it. It was kind of like, what, what's happening? And so I think that there's three words in this phrase that I want to kind of focus on for the next few moments. And if you look at, if you look at this verse on the screen, um, you can probably figure out what the three words are, right? Most of you right now are thinking way, truth, and life. But those aren't the three words that I want to look at. I mean, I think it's important to note that Jesus says that he is the way. In fact, later in Scripture, in Acts, uh, following Christ became known as the way, and they would teach people to follow the way, and Jesus was kind of saying, I am the way to God, I'm the way to heaven, I'm the way to the Father, I'm the way to have a relationship with God. And he says, I'm the truth, that's important, that's huge, I don't want to go into to major detail, but, but Jesus says, you know, I am the truth, like in me there's, there's no error, there's nothing false, like I am the right way, I'm, I'm the truth. Um, uh, and he says, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, like in me is life. I think that's important. I think it's a huge word. We're not going to focus on it so much today. But before each of those three words is one word, and it's the it's repeated three times in front of each of these words, and I think that that word for us has the most potential to change our lives when it comes to knowing how to get to heaven, when it comes to knowing how to have a relationship with God, because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This three-little word that seems insignificant when you read over Uh, A typical paragraph, you can actually remove this word and you could read the paragraph just fine, just inserting mentally, subconsciously these words into. um, But but this word, this article, uh, is actually extremely important. See, I I don't want to take us back too much into our our grammar days, uh, but an article can be um, definitive or indefinitive. Okay? So, So typically... Before a noun that we want to describe with an article, uh, we could either say a or an to describe something indefinite, or we could use the word the to describe something definite, something definitive, something that's for sure. So like, like you could go out at nighttime and you could look up into the sky and you say, the moon is beautiful tonight. And you can use that word the because there's only one moon. And when you say the moon, everyone knows exactly which moon you're talking about because there's only one. It's, it's definite. It, it's not up for debate. But if you go out to someone and you say, man, I looked up at the sky tonight and the star was, it was just beautiful. They're going to be like, which star? Because there's a lot of stars. There's millions of stars. And so you have to say, I saw a star that was really beautiful. And you have to describe a star because it's not definite. And Jesus doesn't say, I am a way and a truth and a life. And one way to get to the Father is through me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father through me. This has huge potential to change our life because I think even in our culture, even in the South, even in the Bible Belt, we have a tendency to use language that's kind of inclusive 
of everyone into our belief system without a full embrace of our belief system. We say statements like, you know, well, they're in a better place now when we hear that someone's passed away. Maybe, maybe someone had a, a terrible illness and they passed away and maybe we didn't know that person and maybe we didn't know any of their background and we just have this tendency to say, well, well they're in a better place now. And what's the truth? We don't know if they're in a better place. We hope they're in a better place, but you know, the old saying says that all dogs go to heaven. Um, it's not true for humans. It's actually not true for dogs. I know you love your dog, but as much as I love dogs, dogs aren't going to be in heaven either. It's another sermon for another day. They don't have spirits, but that's okay. We can pretend, and it makes us feel good. And so many times we say that just about everyone. And then there's people who believe things completely different than we believe and maybe because of their belief system and their conviction in their belief system, they're really good people and we can't imagine them being in a place other than heaven, other than with the Father. And so we tend to think in terms of a natural afterlife for people is to be in heaven. And we talk about heaven very loosely as if heaven is for everyone. And the truth is heaven is for everyone, but not everyone will be in heaven. And I know that that's hard for some of us to embrace. And some of you would say that's, that's not true, but the truth is, is that not everyone's going to be in heaven. And when Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, what he's saying is there's actually one avenue by which you can get to the Father, by which you can get to the place that I'm going to prepare for you, which is a place in heaven. And that way is through me, through Jesus, through the Son of God. And so we have to go through Jesus and his sacrifice for us to get to the Father as he proclaimed because he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is debated. I know that there are people out there that they read scriptures like this and, and they think that it was intended just for those people and inside their belief system that was good for them to know. Um, but we believe that every word that Jesus spoke is directly impactful for our lives here today in 2013, just as much as it was for his disciples. And so I believe that the truth for all of us is that there's one way to get to the Father. There's one way to get to heaven and that's through Jesus. And there's no exceptions because he didn't say that he is a way, a truth, and a life. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when you begin to put a definite article in front of a word, it causes you to view the word that, that, that comes after that article differently. Because no longer is it just, you know, a star, it's, it's the moon. Like, you know for sure what we're talking about. And there's a certain ownership that comes with putting the in front of something. And so, there's a couple of things that I want us to know about Jesus being a way, a truth, and a life that isn't true for us today. And that's number one, that there are people that believe, in fact, you've probably seen a bumper sticker that says coexist and it's got lots of different religions on the same bumper sticker and kind of the, the message of the bumper sticker says that we can all coexist and you can believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I believe and, and we'll all kind of get where we're going just through different routes, right? Kind of like if I said, hey, 
you know, we're going to go to the varsity in Athens right now. Uh, most of us would probably go up 316, but you could probably get there uh, a different way. And some people might go up Atlanta Highway. And we would end up at the varsity. We would go different directions. And we kind of think of heaven as that. Like, I'll see you when you get there. And, and we'll just kind of figure it out together. Um, it's just not true. That there are people that, that you know. There are people that I know that we just assume will be in heaven with us one day. We don't know. And here's what I think changes our lives about this truth. When Jesus says that he's not a way of truth and a life, but he is the way, the truth, and the life, is that when we believe that and when we embrace that and when we own that for ourselves, not only does it change what we believe personally, but it changes our interactions with others. If you're like me, sometimes you just, you just assume things. And you see people and they're good people. And they do good things and they're generous. They're easy to get along with. They're friendly. We enjoy spending time with them. And by default, so many times, we don't really think, you know, what would happen if, if they died today? Like, where would they spend eternity like, would they be in heaven? We don't think that. Why? Because we just kind of assume they'll make it. They'll find a way there. But not only does it change how we view ourselves and help us to understand if we want to make it to heaven, the truth is we've got to go through Jesus, but it helps us to view the people in our lives differently. That aunt that you don't really talk to a lot, Sometimes that boyfriend or girlfriend that you've never even asked the question, like, what do you believe? What's your life story? You just get along and you just kind of assume that everything's going to be okay. That coworker that you spend more hours of your day with a lot of times than your own family, and you just, you never really go there. You just, well, it'll, it'll just work out, and we just assume that everyone's going to be in heaven, but when you really embrace these words of Jesus that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it changes the way you view people. I remember for me the first time was, was in fifth grade. I remember a kid named Brian. I remember just for whatever reason as we went into the bathroom, I just, Seems weird. I should have probably left that detail out. But as we went to the bathroom, for whatever reason, I just, I don't know, he and I were friends. And it just kind of hit me like, I wonder if he died today, like if he would go to heaven. At a young age, when I was 12 days before my eighth birthday, I accepted Christ into my life, November 1st, 1987. And I just kind of lived my life for me. And then all of a sudden I walked into the bathroom with Brian one day and I was like, it just hit me like, what if Brian died today? What if something happened to him? Would he be in heaven? And just this naive fifth grader just said, hey, Brian, can I ask you a question? Like, are you going to be in heaven if we die? And we just had this conversation in the bathroom like, well, I don't know. You know, and I was like, well, you can know. And as a fifth grader, just naive, I remember beginning to have this burden for people. Like God would just put people on my heart and, and I would hear tragic stories of people dying in car accidents, people from our school, people in our town. 
And I can remember like people just saying good words about them. And I can remember my heart just hurting like, I wonder if they're in heaven. Like, like I don't know. I, di- I didn't know them. I didn't ever reach out to them. I don't, I don't know if they're going to be there. And I can remember at times in my life just kind of grieving. In fact, one of the first things that crosses my mind now when I hear that someone crosses from this life into eternity is, is where are they? Where are they going to be? You know, what, what was their life like? And it wasn't too long there was a tragedy here in town and someone passed from this life and my, my heart hurt because I had interacted very briefly with a person that I never even brought up heaven or, or God or Jesus or church. We just kind of had brief interactions and my heart just kind of went to a place like where I, I wonder where they are now. And I wonder if I could have impacted where they are now. And we're hopeful. I mean, we want everybody to be in heaven, but Jesus makes it pretty clear. You say, well, well, I don't believe that. You know, and I'm not telling you that, that you have to believe. That's what, that's what he said. Like, it's, not, it's not my words. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just saying this is what Jesus said. I believe what Jesus says to be completely true. I believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that if someone hasn't accepted Christ in their life, then they'll spend eternity separated from God. That they will not be in heaven. That they'll be in a literal place that I believe will be called hell and that it will not be pleasant for eternity. And that a lot of times because this verse of scripture has impacted my life, it just drives me to think differently about people than I think currently. So there's this awkwardness around the table and then we read six chapters later. The story has gone on. Jesus has been arrested. He's been falsely accused. He's been tried. He's been beaten. He's been hung on a cross. He dies. He's put into a tomb. Three days later, he resurrects from the grave. He appears to his disciples. But remember Thomas that said, you know, how do we know where you're going and how do we know how to get there? Who heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but really probably thought more along the lines of he is a way, a truth, and the life. And he hears from all of his peers that Jesus is alive. He's raised from the grave, but Thomas, he wasn't there to see it for himself. He was, he was out when Jesus showed up, and everyone's telling him Jesus is alive. He's alive. And he says, I'll never believe it until I see him for myself, and then... It's not too long after that that Jesus shows up to him again. Do you remember John 20, 28, what Thomas says when he sees the living God that he knew was crucified? He said, you are my Lord and my God. And he kind of had his moment from A to Z. What once could have been an A in his life became a Z because he had a personal encounter with Jesus that changed how he related to these very words. And what I pray for for everyone in our church, what I pray for everyone in our community, what I pray for everyone that I meet and everyone that I know and everyone that I know is far from God and everyone that I don't know where they stand with God is that they would have a moment where they transition from A to Z, where they understand that Every road doesn't lead to God and every road doesn't lead to heaven. 
but there is the road that does. And when they experience the Jesus of the scriptures that is the way, the truth, and the life, there's a transition from A to Z that changes everything for them. And so what I want to do today as we end our time together is just kind of challenge your hearts. I just, I just want you to think. I just, I just want you to maybe take a moment and just examine yourself. I, I don't want to try to manipulate you, and I don't want to try to convince you of something that you don't believe in, and I don't want to try to push something down your throat. I don't believe that I can do that. I don't believe that that's my job as a, as a pastor, as a preacher. But I just want to ask you like this one simple question. Like if you did die today, have you, have you ever thought about what would happen to you? Have you ever thought about where you would go? Have you, have you ever just assumed like, well, heaven will be great and it'll be glorious and, and it'll be awesome. But have you ever considered like the road that gets you to heaven? And so like, if you did die today, where do you think you would go? What do you believe in your heart? Like what, where are you at? with that question. When someone stands up on the day that you die, a few days later you're gonna have a funeral, they're gonna stand up in front of the people that loved you, hopefully it'll be a huge crowd of people that loved you, and they'll show up to your funeral, and they're gonna say some words, and the words that they say are gonna be reflective of the life that you've lived and you are living. And I just wonder, like, are they going to know where you are? Are they going to be certain? And not just, just this generic, you know, he's in a better place, she's in a better place, you know, she's not suffering anymore, he's not suffering anymore, but uh, like, hey, I knew them. And they loved Jesus. And they had met Jesus. And they had found the way, the truth, and the life. And, and they're with the Father now because they went through Jesus and they accepted what he offered them. Maybe, maybe, you don't, maybe you don't believe that. Maybe it's something for you just to wrestle with when you leave and you can go home and just kind of, maybe you can research on your own and kind of do some investigation. But perhaps for some of you, you're here today and you're kind of having a moment right now where you're just like, not because I'm scared to go to hell, but because you understand for the first time the way and the truth and the life and the relationship that promises you an eternity in a place called heaven. I don't want to like scare you into a decision, but I want you to be challenged in your own heart with the truth that there is a specific way for us to get there that we can know where we're going. And so if that's you, if you're here and you say, you know what, I just had an A to Z moment and I just, I always kind of assumed that I would go to heaven, but I kind of want to make sure and I just kind of feel like God's doing something in me and he's wanting me to follow him. Remember, these were his disciples that were close to Jesus that didn't get that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And maybe for some of us, we've been around church and we've heard it till we're blue in the face, but something this morning just kind of clicked and we realized for the first time, I can take care of this today, right now. I can make certain 
that I'll spend eternity with the God that I love and the Jesus that died for me and gave his life for me and loves me unconditionally. And I can accept that and I can, I can move from A to D.